Now, I have to say that you're looking quite sporty. So, uh, I mean, you always actually look quite sporty, but particularly sporty. What have you been doing tennis-wise? Playing tennis. Hey. <laughs> uh, pretty much. No, I've had a very sporty weekend. Um, played loads of tennis yesterday. Uh, today I was down at a new tennis centre called The Avenue down in Kent, helping with their open day. I try and, you know, do some bits and bobs for Kent Tennis. They've always been really good support uh, for me through my junior career and, and stuff. So it's nice to kind of get out on court with the kids. And, and uh, we did a little bit of an exhibition match, which was really fun. Yesterday I played two singles matches in a day two whole singles matches in a day and I have not done that for I'm gonna say five years maybe maybe to be honest maybe longer and I'm very sore (laughs) what was the outcome or do I not ask is that the question I don't ask well I mean you see this is this is the thing all about results aren't you I lost (laughs) one and I won one so that's okay okay it was a really tough match so so I'm a member of uh, a club called the international club otherwise known as the IC, and they have them all around the world. Every country has them. And basically they're for former players that have played to a high level. Uh, So the general line, I think, was kind of if you'd represented your country, but it's a little bit flexible in that sense. And we were playing against the LTA, which are obviously current players. So it's slightly lopsided. (laughs) It's former (laughs) players against current players. And uh, needless to say... In 10 years, uh, we have not won the trophy <laughs> in this uh, in this match that happens every year. Uh, but we were so close. It was five all. And we were down to the last doubles, the men's doubles match. And it was in a third set tie break. So we nearly, nearly got it this time. So you've, so you've won matches over the years. You just haven't won the trophy because you're making it sound like you've never actually won a match in the 10 years. No, uh, we, we haven't won many matches in the 10 years. I think five <laughs> is probably equaling the other nine years all put together, <laughs> to be honest. It's a very tough match that, uh, I mean, we have to really put out our, our best team. But it was good. It was really it was really nice to play. And uh, yeah, I got a win on the board and I have a, a sore right bum cheek today. Lovely. Which, is, which always happens because it's from landing on the serve. So when you play the match especially two matches in one day uh, you essentially do kind of I don't know 200 single leg squats on one leg that you're landing on so that's always what's really sore the next day so I'm feeling it but it was good it was really it was so much fun really enjoyed it and this club I imagine you're a member of quite a few clubs I feel like there's a sort of a a county (laughs) club and there's a former whatever club and a this club do you have quite a few clubs maybe not official clubs no I mean I have I don't know. I play, I play for Ken. Is this one quite exclusive? The one you played with on Saturday? So there is like a cut-off point. If you didn't reach this in the world, you can't be in this club. What, what's the criteria for this club? No. Um, the, the cri- I don't know. The criteria is quite difficult, to be honest. Most of it is on your playing experience, your playing career and level. So if you've played to a, a high level, um, then you can get in. Um, the club, it really is to keep people playing tennis, you know, keep tennis alive with um, people who, keeping people still involved with the sport, even if they move on to different careers and that sort of thing. So there's loads of matches through the day, through the year, sorry. It's absolutely brilliant to be a part of. But yeah, all through the ages as well. So you can still compete you know through to your 60s and 70s um, and that sort of thing so it's a great club to be a part of but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty tired after this weekend I've also been working on Tokyo uh, the WTA event out there so uh, it's been it's, yeah, it's been it's been a, a busy weekend what's the time difference that's early hours of the morning isn't yes it? time difference yeah, wise it has been yeah it has been but uh, but it's been great really good watching Osaka do a thing Pliskova managed to get the win in the end which was really nice she came uh, she was on court for so many hours she 
played three three set matches to get through to the final had a couple of match points down against Alison Risk uh, but it was great loads to talk about Osaka back home in Tokyo one thing that I did want to raise particularly about Osaka because I know this is something that you've said a couple of times to me and lots of people are saying it about the US Open final in that Osaka her moment was taken away from her and it was all a bit ruined really and as much as yeah you know the moment was obviously very difficult for her and it was tough to see her that upset I can I can tell you all she's absolutely fine. <laughs> she's gone to Tokyo. She's still US Open champion. She's just signed an outrageous deal uh, with her sponsor, Adidas, $8.5 million. Now, normally you're thinking about that sort of number for kind of a three-year deal, five-year deal, but $8.5 million a year for her Adidas sponsorship. She's fine. And she made the final as well, which is great. That's amazing. Yeah, I think the the big thing and the good thing was that she made the final. So after everything that happened at the US Open and there'd have been a lot of pressure on her going to Tokyo and I saw some of the press conferences, there were so many people there, so many photo calls that she was able to get stuck back into the tennis and and reach the final because it must have been mad going back to Japan. Yeah, and um, but I do think it's a good thing to you know to go back in, you know into the Asian swing, and you know she's got lots of motivation there as well. And yeah, no, she's she's doing absolutely fine. There's no problem with that. What have you been up to this week? You've been off tennis, right? I've been <laughs> yes, uh, I've been football this week. Oh, I've been the Europa League. Uh, started group stage Chelsea in the Europa League this season not the Champions League so that's a Thursday night always have to get your head around it's a Thursday night having done Tuesdays and Wednesdays for many years so it was back to Chelsea um, and doing the Europa League coverage which was a lot of fun and having to sort of get my head away from the tennis which I feel I've been submerged in for months this was my first time back this season so having to sort of get my head around everything that's gone on which is a lot of fun I've been perfecting my smoothies (laughs) so they are now kind of (laughs) shop bought (laughs) they are shop bought green rather than the brown sludge which is the first one when we did last week's pod that I showed you. I've been sort of, the twins have been helping, throwing things in. It's it's green now. I, I, I think we still have work to do before I'd actually give them to other people to try. But I've had a little bit of time to work on my smoothies, do a little bit of football. And we're going away in about a week. So just been sort of doing a bit of that. So it's been quite nice, but I've been keeping an eye and having a look at the tennis. And the other big thing this week has been the Labour Cup, of course in Chicago know a few people who are out there working on the Labour Cup and it was (laughs) there were there were some very amusing moments I think Diego Schwartzman just fabulous man what a character he's not the tallest of um gentlemen and at the press conference he did the introduction of John Isner (laughs) I mean that was cruel whoever set that up and at the end he said I'd like to welcome my twin John Isner (laughs) and they had this (laughs) sort of rather odd hug with sort of Diego Schwartzman coming up to John Isner's waist but there was all the sort of glitz and the glamour and the razzmatazz I mean I don't know if you're a Labour Cup fan you've got no thoughts you watch it you don't watch it but there's been just every time you go on social media it is flooded with Labour Cup yeah, there are so many clips and gifs and the celebrations of Kyrgios and Sock. I was uh, particularly enjoying. I mean, it's quite unique. I, you know, look, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what I think about it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, give it, a, give it a chance and and just just watch it and enjoy it. And there are some fantastic moments. I mean, seeing Federer and Djokovic play doubles together. I mean, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Federer played with Nadal last year. Djokovic actually hit. 
Federer, I think, from behind accidentally. So there are some really unique points about it, um, you know, which I think is really good. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I got, I just, I'm just, I'm just reserving judgment. I don't like to prejudge things. I don't, you know, I like to, you know, we talked about how Ben was a grower. That's kind of how I am with all things, you know. I just let it, I let it play out for a while, and then come to a conclusion at my own pace. But everybody's asking me about a Labour Cup. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? And I just think, just give me a minute. I'll tell you in a couple of years once I've so, seen it happen a few times. <laughs> saying that you're like that with everything is that the same with our podcast? Is it growing on you? Are we are we a grower together? Yes. <laughs> It is growing on me, definitely. I thought we were awful. <laughs> Don't listen to week one. If you're just joining us for this week. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Oh, we've always been brilliant. Do you make your mind up on things really quickly, though? Because Ben is completely opposite. He makes his mind up. I mean, if, you meet, if he meets somebody before that person even says a word, he knows what he thinks of them and he won't change. Oh, oh, gosh. Okay. Um, which, which way are you in the middle? I think I'm in the middle. I think I'm fairly laid back, but normally... I think I think I have uh, opinions on or ideas on someone or something fairly early on. I think. But are I think you flexible? Need... Yeah, I'm flexible. I'm like like with my smoothies. Look, they started off as brown sludge, but I stuck with it. I was flexible. I gave it time. <laughs> I had patience, and now they're green. <laughs> so you've got to. <laughs> so I didn't just make my mind up that it was awful machine, terrible ingredients, not good for me. I kind of stuck with it and grew into the. So I think I'm. I think I probably grow into things quicker than you. So I'll have an opinion on something maybe quicker, but then I'm, I, I'm, I will change. Yeah. I'm not just going to say, right, that's it. I've decided it's terrible or it's great. Hey, so I, I, uh, well, you're the same actually, but I, I mean, I work through the year commentating I reckon I probably do about 50% men's and 50% women's and it's at times it's really hard to keep up with everything that's going on you know tours are in different places there are so many matches I mean you know you know what it's like right just to to know what's going on and actually do you know what even when you're doing a grand slam and you're at a grand slam and you're doing your match so much is happening on all the other courts that you don't you, you miss a lot of it right because you're so engrossed in your match you come off court and you think huh what oh isn't out and this person what, what's going on Halep's lost what, what's going on how on earth do you keep up with football what when I'm in a kind of tennis moment yeah well you you've got well because you've got men's tennis women's tennis and football so like, I mean, how do you, how do you know what's going on? You've been at US Open in New York and, how, and you've come back and you, you jump into doing Chelsea stuff. Like, um, I mean, how do you, how do you even know? I, I have a different thing to you in the tennis. I probably do 90% men's and then really only the women's largely at the Grand Slams. So I have that thing coming up to the French Open. I'm thinking, crikey, I know a lot about the ATV side of things, <laughs> but I've really got to get do my research and prep I, I think it's just a lot of prep and research I mean with football I'm a football fan anyway so I'm reading about it I'm watching it but and I'll just keep an eye on stories and what's going on and chatting to friends who are working in it but ahead of that Europa League week the the weekend before and that week just every night just writing notes like I'd research a tennis match just prepping things reading loads of interviews with Maurizio Sarri the new manager to kind of get a feel for him and his style because I haven't met him yet reading about the players all the formations for different games so just 
you, you generally keep an eye, if you're a fan of something, you keep an eye on it anyway. So you, whether it's watching a match or listening to the radio, whatever it is. But then in the build up to going back this week for the first time, as there was a Europa League match, then I just did a lot of prep, a lot, lot of reading of articles, a lot of writing notes and just sort of getting my head around it. But it was quite weird because I I'd felt like I'd just been in this tennis bubble since the end of the football season. And it was just tennis, tennis, tennis. And then suddenly I was like, oh, football. And I had to sort of flick back. And then now there's another little break for tennis and I sort of go back and dipping in and out. But it's uh, it's hoping the twins go to bed early and then doing a bit of work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of the story of my life. Last week we did some questions from listeners and it's great. To, oh, before questions from listeners. Just, Sven, your dog, is he a grow or did you like Sven from the off? Oh, uh, jury's out. <laughs> oh wow we're waiting even to see Sven. if it grows <laughs> oh even Sven well this might grow, this, this might grow a bit quicker because it's not just your Sven who is a fan but you must have seen the tweet from Sven Grinefeld we've mentioned on one of our podcasts before reacting to another tweet about your Tokyo commentary you you have you have fans out there Miss Cavaday Oh, I know. I know. I know. I have to say this was a really exciting moment in my week. And I was doing the match and you have Twitter up because sometimes, you know, news comes through of people withdrawing and that sort of stuff. So you just have it just kind of ticks over. You don't pay too much attention to it. But you um, you sometimes do get things that, that are, in, are interesting or, or stats or somebody makes a comment that you think is right. Anyway, so on Twitter, it popped up that um, Ben Rothenberg... Uh, from the NCR podcast and journalist uh, New York Times he writes for doesn't he and all sorts of other bits and bobs um he's uh, he's around he's everywhere he said he he put a tweet out being very very complimentary of my commentary which was in itself was very exciting and uh, and I was I kind of sitting there carrying on with the match and and then you suddenly realize you think oh important people are listening to this I'm going to try even harder <laughs> And I think I started going off on one about coaching and this and that. I probably tried too hard. And probably one of the reasons why I'm quite, why he liked my commentary was that I probably shut up half the time. And then there I was thinking, oh, Ben's listening. I've got to come out with some gold. But yes, Sven Gronefeld, not to be confused with Sven, my puppy, responded and said that he agreed. And I, uh, I honestly was really excited. I was really kind of like, oh, my God, maybe the masses don't like my work, but but Sven and Ben do. And Sven and Ben's who I've got at home as well. So I wonder if it was them incognito. Sven and Ben's every, and, and Courtney Nguyen, who you are a big fan of. And I know she is a, a fan of your work, too. And I, I did it at the US Open. And one of the first things I said, it was, hi, Courtney, Naomi loves you. I think it was pretty much that was the formation of my first sentence. <laughs> and do you know what? Uh, I think with anyone else, I'd probably say, oh, You've made me look like a complete, you know, fangirl idiot, you know, if you said that that early and like that. But actually with Courtney, I think that's a fair reflection of my feelings towards her. I really enjoy everything that she has to say. So, um, yeah, so that was just it was just really nice, you know, because, you, I mean, you do get some comments on, on Twitter and stuff, but it, it was nice, you know, because they kind of know what they're talking about as well. Yeah, I will. Oh, remind me to send you a tweet next time you're commentating. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be sat next to you in the ATP Tennis Radio commentary box and I'll just send it. Oh, love Naomi's commentary. Yeah, loving your work. Okay, great. Yeah. And then you'll read it thinking, what are you doing? I'm sat next to you. 
<laughs> yeah, Twitter is a good form of communication. Uh, that's well, funny. that's we we've had some we had some questions from people listening, and we really appreciate. Well, firstly, we appreciate the fact people are listening, <laughs> and secondly, we really appreciate people getting in touch with some questions. Uh, and we save these. We wanted to save these ones for this week's pod because this is the moment when basically you're not going to hear any more from me. I'm basically going to read the question, and then Naomi's just going to talk, and then when Naomi's finished, I'll read another question, and Naomi's going to talk, and then I'll say goodbye. That's the next sort of 10 or so no, minutes of this podcast. Uh, get involved. <laughs> get involved. First question from what are you Matthew here for? Burt, who says, <laughs> to read the questions, Matthew Burt, who says he loves the pod, he said, how much, and I, don't, I wouldn't really have an answer to this anyway, um, how much does it cost to employ a WTA coach, trainer and physio? And then the example is Darren Cahill and Kofa Halep. And how does support team, uh, how does support team employed and cost changes you move down or up the well up and down the top hundred so cost wise it it does seem as you get higher up your entourage gets bigger well the I mean the short answer is no one knows and it's something that's a bit of a bugbear of mine and you know I chatting with my brother who's been coaching on the tour with various players recently and and with all coaches really and even as a player yourself you know when I was employing coaches they're just there is no standard. There's no standard across the board and it's incredibly frustrating and it leads to a lot of problems. It leads to a lot of problems, which I think would be resolved if there was any sort of standard for what you pay a coach. Problems like what? Well, I mean, we all hear rumours. I mean, I can't give any sort of specific example because I don't know the ins and outs, but you know, we hear rumours of you know a coach does well with a player and then asks for a bit more money and then the player says no and then the relationship ends even though they were doing well together and and that sort of thing and I think it it's just you're ultimately you're negotiating a, a salary or or whatever um with somebody it's a one-on-one sort of thing agents will be involved of course but um but as I say there just there is no standard so you know you it's such a vast range of people out there even at the high level some you know are not paid very much as a retainer but are on higher bonuses some have no bonuses and have a flat salary. Some have huge salaries. I mean, we think back to when Brad Gilbert was employed, uh, the LTA employed him on Andy Murray's behalf, who's been paid millions. I don't think many other coaches are being paid millions. I think that was kind of an, an, an exceptional situation. You know, if, if you look at something like golf... Uh, and you look at the caddies, I mean, they're all basically on around 10%-ish. I mean, you know, there's little variations, but there there is just a kind of standard across the board as to what is roughly expected. But honestly, if you're a coach, it's really hard to know how to pitch it to players because, you know, you could say, based on my experience, I want a really good salary. And they can just laugh in your face and be like, <laughs> I think you'll find you're going to be paid your expenses and you can have a chunk of my prize money. So if I do well, then you can have some of the money. So it works like that. And it, it's just, it's it, honestly, it's just a nightmare and it causes so many issues. And I personally think that there are so many splits because of it, because it's really difficult to, there's just no starting point. And also I think some coaches who, who might be in the running or in consideration for particular roles end up, like it goes no further because they're so far away from what the player was thinking. And it just, it, I don't know, it, it's just, it's a very complicated and tangled, for me, it's a mess. And as a player, I just had no idea. And it's not always the same. You get some coaches travel the whole year, some who come in mm. for certain tournaments, some who see themselves more as 
consultants and this is someone who you I imagine have got to get on with because you might be in hotels together on planes together in cars together this is the person you are seeing most of the time so when you came to have a coach you mentioned agents so how did it work in your situation would you then speak to the coach and say I want to work with them did they approach you and then when it came to money did you have anything to do with that or was that your agent well I mean ultimately you leave all the negotiations to your agent because quite frankly you don't know what you're doing but ultimately they'll come back to you with the final proposal whatever they've worked out and it's up to you to say yes or no it's a weird one because there's this kind of go-between and and the coach so it's the agent saying no to the coach if that's the decision but the coach knows it's coming from the player because ultimately it's the player's final decision it's their money and and their their choice but the agent will absolutely help with they'll do all the conversations you know players don't want to get involved in those sorts of conversations at at all um it's very rare I think that they would and is that the same when you're ending a relationship with would you or have you done that or is that again coming from the agent um I did it when I when I was playing and I was pretty young I think 17 18 that sort of thing oh I mean, I got it so wrong. Honestly, I got it so wrong. And it's something that I, I've honestly felt really bad about, you know, since I just, I just didn't know how things worked. You know, the coach I was working with was very experienced and knew how things worked. And, and it was just, it was a very difficult time. I was quite ill at the time. So it was just, it's just really hard. I mean, there are also other things that go into coaching contracts. Like if you get injured, you know, if, if you do what Andy's done, you know, some coaches will have kind of a drop down rate that, so to retain them, you'll pay them a a smaller fee or or something and others uh, you have nothing and others, I I don't know. So everything is just so different. But yeah, I, when I ended a couple, the first two coaches I ended relationships with um, when I was a player, absolutely horrendous. Oh, I was awful. If I was them, I'd hate me, <laughs> to, to be honest. But you know what? I have actually spoken to both of them since. Uh, I made the phone calls and I said, you know, it was quite a, a significant time afterwards, but I just I just phoned them and I just said, okay, I'm going to blame it on being young, but really there's no excuse. You know, I, I, it's, it's hard. I mean, ultimately you're firing somebody, you know, at, at, at 17 years old. Do you mean in terms of the wording you used as you fire them, I'm not asking you to repeat it, but in terms of what you said to them or the fact that you kind of ignored them and let it slide, I mean, what was it? Were you just saying the wrong things? I think it was a combination of things. I mean, I think firstly the build-up, I probably wasn't honest enough with the issues that were going on, which I think is always a huge problem. And actually the people that, those particular people that I was working with, you know, I kind of made assumptions. I made assumptions that they, they wouldn't change the things that I wasn't happy with. And uh, and that was a big problem. And I look back on it now and I think actually they, they probably would have because a lot of what we were doing was pretty good. And yeah, and then also the way that it was dealt with, you know, it was a, a conversation on the phone and, it, it, you know, it, it's it's very difficult and it's very difficult as a coach as well. You know, if you're a coach on tour, no matter how good of a job you're doing, you can be fired at any moment, at any moment. And we see it happen all the time. I mean, the amount of times players have done incredibly well with a coach burst onto the scene and then that off season they go, yeah, thanks very much. Moving on. I mean, we don't understand it, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that the coach may not have seen it coming either, especially if they've done really well. Even if there are some issues, you're probably thinking, well, the results are good. So, you know, it, it's it's all OK, really. So, yeah, it's it's just it's very it's it's very difficult. It's much best, much better to 
let the agents crack on with it. It's a tough thing to do it because you talked about being what 17. I'm I'd consider myself to be a grown up now. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't know how to fire someone. I, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I just I think that's just a really awkward position. It would be nice to have someone else if you had to do it who could do it for you just so you're sort of uh, yes they know it's coming from you ultimately but I'm not sure oh I'm not sure I'd be very good in that situation well I just always wanted to do it as well because I, you know I had an agent and you know I could have asked him to do it I did speak to a coach a couple of years ago because Matthew was talking about when they have the sort of entourage and the team and and he said I know it's and he's a very experienced coach he's coach at the top level he said I know it costs a lot and people don't want to pay but you have to invest in yourself you have to see yourself as a business and some of these players they need to pay for a physio they need the nutritionist they need the trainer they need all these people because you have to put the money in it's like any kind of business if you want to make it succeed you've got to put the money in you've got to invest and it will grow and he said it's exactly the same he gave me a couple of examples of players they're actually on the WTA tour he said if they had or if they did invest in themselves their ranking would go up 60 70 places and they were already just sort of under the top 100 he said it's all about investing but I guess it's a difficult thing you're a young player making your way up and it's hard enough I guess paying for a coach and then someone says okay well pay this much for a physio to travel with us and how about we take the nutritionist and what about the osteopath coming to <laughs> it gets mm-hmm. I mean it gets a bit big and it gets a bit pricey yeah, and I mean, when you look at, um, you know, the players that are maybe in the rankings of 50 to 60, they're often the players that really need to invest to, to push forwards. But they're probably making a profit by the time they've put all their expenses in and they've probably got someone traveling with them. Probably making a profit. I mean, look, it depends where you do well and that sort of stuff. I mean, the prize money range is quite vast. But say they're taking home, I don't know, 70 grand is their profit, which is great. It's a great living to be in the top 100 as a tennis player. It's fantastic. You know, they might be making 100 grand. You're basically saying to them, okay, you need to invest all of that every year to try and push up to be ranked 30, where you can make... Um, you know, 300, 400, well, maybe 250 grand. We're talking profit here. You know, there's a lot of expense that goes on in tennis. It's a hard thing to do because, uh, you know, when when you're ranked 50, 60, it's a very hard thing to do to to basically say, I'm making a living and I'm going to stop making a living. And remember, all of these players have spent the best part of a decade sometimes not making any money and actually being in debt or hemorrhaging cash all over the place. So they're finally there and they're making, you know, 60, 70 grand a year, enjoying themselves, playing really well you know everything's going well and then you know you turn around to them and say well you know if you want to reach the next level you've got to spend all that it's it's difficult they've been investing in themselves for a really long time and it, it's a difficult thing to ask and some do it and sometimes it doesn't pay off that's the thing is no guarantee I guess it's like a business isn't it you you invest in it you put your heart and soul into it and you hope that it flourishes and you hope it does pay off and, and you see you reap the rewards but it's I, I guess it's about taking the risk but there are some players who are happy with where they are they're happy that they're 70 in the world and they're happy that they're qualifying for certain tournaments and they're getting into grand slams and you know if you get into a grand slam you can play singles doubles and mixed and that's a nice amount of money to tide you through that's four times a year if you keep that ranking there there's in the women's the, the premier mandatory tournaments and the men's it's the masters if, if you've got a ranking that's getting you into those tournaments and you're making i think that's the weird thing isn't it i think we all think that everybody wants to 
be the best player in the world and be a world beater and, and make millions. Some, I imagine, and you'll know this because you've traveled with these people, are happy that they're making a living, they're enjoying what they're doing and they're seeing the world. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them around, to be honest, and I think that's fair enough. Um, you get that in all walks of life. In every job, people get to a level where they have a really nice work-life balance. And, uh, you know, you're asking them to tip that balance a bit to push forward. And uh, a lot of people don't want to do that. And, you know, I often you know, speak, speak to people and, and, and they'll say to me, like, well, why doesn't she just invest in, in getting a, a proper coach? You know, yes, she's going to have to fork out 150 grand for him or, or whatever, but somebody who's really done it. And you know, I can see the frustration, but you know, that is a huge amount of money. If you're ranked 50 or 60 or wherever you are, that is basically all of your money and more. And uh, and as I say, the assumption that every player is driving towards number one in the world or top 10 or whatever it is, um, I, I think is wrong. There are plenty that are and there are plenty that aren't. And there are some that are just realistic and they say, you know what, my ceiling is is 30 or whatever it is. You know, you, you just, you know, you don't get to that level without understanding your strengths and weaknesses and, and really understanding where you're at and what it takes to get to the next level. And I think some players go, okay, I know what it takes to get to the next level and I'm okay. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just realistic. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just being human. Yeah, I, everyone's different. So, so Matthew, that the very short answer to that question was, Naomi, you don't know. <laughs> no but one we, knows. We, we, it's, it's, and when you think it's, and I imagine if you're a coach and you're coaching someone around a hundred, you've, and it, this might, this might just be generalisation, but I imagine you've got to work harder than if you're Darren Cahill alongside Simona Halep, who is number one in the world or around number one in the world who's got all the skills and you're sort of yes very important we see she brings them on when she can during the tour and the coaching timeouts and being there for her but in terms of the actual day-to-day what he's teaching I mean I might be completely wrong here but I would imagine if you're someone with someone who's at 100 there's more actually to do to try and get that player up the rankings than than if you're with the world number one. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think being Federer's coach is the easiest gig in the world, right? <laughs> I mean, surely. I mean, what are you saying to the guy? You're probably saying one thing a week and it's probably, yeah, nice shot, Rog. Like, well, what are you supposed Severin, to do? Severin Luthi, the, the Swiss Davis Cup captain, has been his sort of coaching quotations for years. And now Ivan Lubicic, and while coaching, coaching Roger Federer, he's also set up a management agency and he's doing all sorts of things so even Lubicic he's got a lot of time to be doing a lot of different things but as you say I mean when it's more of a surely it's more of a sort of a consultancy but then it's once you've been a part of of the Roger Federer entourage I imagine in terms of if you're a coach getting work elsewhere that's a pretty good name to have on the CV. Yeah well exactly but that is why there are so many players who won't pay a good wage. And I'm not saying they're being unfair because as I say, there's no standard. So they think they're being perfectly fair. And if somebody wants to do it, they'll do it. If they don't want to do it, they won't do it. But, you know, there have been players around that that think, well, you're lucky to work with me. And after working with me for a number of years, you can then go and charge so much money. And it works, it, it can work like that as well. And sometimes, you know, you hear things and you think, really? Oh, wow. Okay. That's really not a lot for what they're doing. But there is kind of a case that then they can go on and, and you know, charge lots of money to a lower ranked player. So as I say, they're just, they're, there is no standards. It's not to say that that is wrong either. It's just that every player has a different approach. So does every coach. And if they clash over it, 
the relationship normally ends. And that's a real shame because you, it would be nice if relationships only ended because both players felt that it wasn't right and that they actually needed to do something different, not over financial reasons. And I imagine it also depends on, on your federation and your country and how much money they've got, because you can, I'm sure you did, you can dip into their resources in terms of trainers, nutritionists, national tennis centres, I guess, depending where you are in the world, if you've got that, you can dip into that as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But being British is a slight advantage when it comes to that. Because to be honest, in most countries, there isn't a lot in the way of help. Really, the Grand Slam nations have it incredibly good. We have incredible resources and money and help. And even countries that are really good at tennis, but that don't have a Grand Slam, they really don't have have a huge amount to offer. They try really, really hard. Of course, they some of them are so dedicated. You know, thinking of countries like the Czech Republic, how well they do with the women, Serbia, those sorts of of nations, uh, you know, Argentina. I mean, look at Del Potro and, and Schwartzman. You know, they, these play these places, Switzerland. They have fantastic players, but in terms of the resource, they you know they they really struggle, which is why you know British tennis has had so much criticism over the years because we have so much resource and have had a lot less success than uh, than some of these other nations but uh yeah i've i've always felt very lucky um i must say and i, I think i've always tried to speak really open and honestly about it in in that um you know it's not perfect it's it's never perfect but you know it's uh it, it's a fantastic thing and i you know because of the support of my federation which is the lta i've been able to be a tennis player and and that that's it so i, I can't be anything but gracious now, we owe Mr. Gibb an apology because the short answer for Matthew turned out quite a long answer. And if, <laughs> and if, 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 I, if I were now to ask Mr. Gibb's question about junior tennis, not only would this break the record for the longest ever podcast, I don't mean the longest tennis podcast, I mean the longest ever podcast, but also our producer, Abby, might quit. So <laughs> she's already on which, the edge. Let's which, be honest. She's she's already on the edge. So we don't want to push producer Abby. So, Mister, we apologise. Your your junior tennis question is is something that Naomi is very passionate about. And if that for Matthew was a short answer because she started it with I don't know, and, and then ten minutes later we're still talking about it. My worry is if I just head down this junior tennis road this week, um, yeah, we're we're just going to be in trouble all over the place. So we'll we'll fit it in somewhere. We it it will be there. We'll do it next week. Yeah, we'll we'll do it next week, or you know, I don't know, something might come up. But it's it's a huge topic. Uh, with loads to talk about and if we can't fit it in then Mr Gibb I'll just phone you and have a rant (laughs) (laughs) and and at that point we're going to record that and that's going to be an episode of tennis and Mr Gibb could be on our tennis it'd be great all Mr Gibb's going to say is hello and you're going to say hello it's Naomi Kevin I just want to say about junior tennis I'll be like oh crikey then you'll hear this tone in the background and you won't realise that Mr Gibb hung up about an hour ago (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait i I think so mr gibb uh get ready no we we will we will try and do that because we're going to do an extra one this week because i'm on holiday next week yes so exactly we're gonna and you should rest from all this tennessee stuff it's tiring i wasn't gonna call you from my holiday to do a podcast (laughs) if you ever thought that (laughs) i did think that actually i called you from my holidays to a podcast 
I know <gasps> we're doing a podcast at your wedding next year, <laughs> but we're not doing one for my holiday. <laughs> you forget, I'm going to be chasing twins around, spraying them with sun cream for large parts of the day. So <laughs> my day's kind of busy. Mr. Gilbert, I promise you, uh, well, the chances are it's basically going to be that question the whole podcast. So apologies for not getting into it this week. But uh, that's does that sound a plan, like a plan near me? I am pleased with that. No, as I say, we will get there. And I'd rather have the time. Like, it is such an important topic. I'd rather have the time to actually talk about it rather than kind of squeeze it in on the end. I keep being worried that every time you mention it, you're going to start. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you. <laughs> I've done that before. And, <laughs> 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 I was really worried. Wrapping up thinking, podcasts yeah, is really I get hard. Think, I get thinking she's about to start. She's about to start. But one final thing. The... The new tennis centre you were at today opening, were you were you opening something? Were you cutting ribbon or something? Were you the sort of, were you on all the posters? Naomi Cavaday will be coming to open our tennis centre. No, I wasn't actually. Um, no, <laughs> it wasn't opening. It was an open day. Oh. So it's, it's really new. It's it's not been around long. It's a, it's a, it's a brand new centre. It is amazing, by the way. If you're in the Gillingham area get down to the avenue yeah no, it was it was just kind of an open day because it's, it's still very new so it was kind of a a booster sort of thing and what have you got coming up next week Are you back to tennis ing next week no i'm off next week before i'm doing all of beijing the week after that but uh yeah i'm off what are you doing next week oh you're on holiday or is that the week after holiday oh, i'm confused next week i'm on holiday and then the week after it's shanghai Gotcha. Nice. I think that's be it. Good. So, so that's going to be a lot of fun. That seems a long way off. I'm going to have my holiday before that. But we will, yeah, we'll be back with everyone next week. And, and Mr. Gibb, you're going to be top of our musty list. Perfect. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.